This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Love Song, a film we hope we finished making this coming weekend. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, who is eyeing up the coffee that I brought him. Why are you being so suspicious, Justin? It just, it looks like it was written, like, while you were knife fighting or something. Well, I was juggling four other drinks, and I wrote that with my left hand, so... How's that? I think it came out okay. Turned out okay then. It yes. turned out okay. Um, we are also here. Why is Mike so much nicer? You scribbled out the messy one and wrote it. Yeah, and nicely. it's got an exclamation point. What yeah. is going on here? Okay, one of you I clearly like more than the other. <laughs> Dear listener, um, I'm going to let the man with the well-written name introduce himself. Who are you, sir? Um, Michael Sanders. Are you sure? Never. Never sure. Um, we're here to talk about a couple of things today, but in particular, um, uh, I'll give Mike, Mike's been on the podcast before, but we will give him a, um, brief introduction. You are the, you have been the DP on a feature length horror movie. Yes. Yes. You write, produce, DP, and direct. director of... Director of photography. But yeah. I prefer the term cinematographer. Cinematographer. You were that the cinematographer. Cool. Uh, you uh, write, produce, and direct uh, feature-length documentaries. Uh, yeah. I, I, would, I, would ha- I don't like... I would never take a writing credit on a documentary. I have Mr. John Toon that will take writing credits on documentaries. Okay. But I'm not even... A fan of I've, I'm always a bit confused when I see a writing credit on a documentary just because my process and this is going to make a lot of producers who are listening cringe but my process on a documentary is often to shoot a whole ton of stuff and then you have a general idea of what that story is but you really find that story in the edit it's not something you're going in with a script of you know, so can so. I push back and say that you should take a writing credit because you're basically well, that's in editing like, and directing. That's what I think is part of editing and directing. If you make a collage, are you an artist? Mm. Yeah, but you're not a writer. No, you're but not an originator of those individual pieces of work. You're you're originating the um, the orientation and maybe juxtaposition of that work. But if you're according working, to whose intent? In, according to your intent, but that I don't. So believe if your intent is present, then I you're the author of that work. What you're arguing is that credit. you can write a collage. You can. <laughs> what I'm saying is that you can direct and edit a, a collage. All right. But writing to for me is like a. That's like a. That's going back to the source. Like you're sourcing something. If you're writing, you're. I would like as to point out to, the source to all the dear listeners that. Um, most people just accept the introduction as presented, and you yeah, have I'm a pushed stubborn, back on yeah, every. Well, yeah. <laughs> Dan is wondering if we've introduced Michael Sanders or Saunders. Which do you get the most? I get Saunders. I've been Saunders since I was born, and it's not. There's no U in my last name. It's S A N D E R S, right. and so it's always since I was had my name read in a classroom. It's been Saunders, yeah. and it's always shocked me that teachers couldn't read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what else has shocked me is you also uh, run a uh, film and game studio, and despite having all of these things that are really your job that takes up all of your time, it should take up all of your time, you have uh, endeavored to continue to shoot short films along the way. Yeah, we've... I've, I think, um, yes. Um, that's a... You don't need yeah. to argue with that definition? No, I just, it's not as... Um, uh, it's like um, short films for me are like probably what sketching is for you guys. Oh, okay. Interesting. So you have a sketchbook yeah. that you constantly work through and work in, and it probably doesn't... You don't think of it as an endeavor per se. It's just something. Just something necessary. Yeah, I'd like to flex the muscles. You know, like we haven't done mm-hmm. a lot. We've done. Um, well, we're about to go. We're about to shoot our third this coming weekend. Um, and I mean, if you factor in some of the short, couple, we've done a couple short docs and that kind of thing. You know, 
but narrative wise this will be the third one that we've done as a company in in this iteration of this company and um yeah, I just think it's important for a number of reasons. One, I really love working with all the people that we tend to get together to do these shorts. Um, and it just feels like a little bit of a creative workout in a way on a small scale. Okay, so small scale. Let's, um, let's imagine that, Justin, that some of our dear listeners uh, want to also make movies because I know they do. What kind of questions, or no, let me put it another way. When you say small scale, what's a gear pack out? Like, let's get into the minutia of it. Oh, well. well. Let's talk about the short film that you guys shot here last year for the 48-hour yeah. film festival. That would be a yeah. pretty small scale project. Yeah, that was pretty small scale. Yeah. I think the budget in cash was 500 bucks. Um, and that went to pay for a putting together a blood cannon. And to fill it with bananas the remains and oatmeal. Of it. Remains are, yes, still are still on some of yeah, our ceiling the studio. Still on the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I see. Uh, there's a couple little drops right up there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did that for the 40-hour film fest, which was like a boot camp. You know, it's like a the deadline is super tight, and you had to finish it within 48 hours. So in 48 hours, hours lay out to people how many crew, what oh, kind of how many crew. I think locations. We had, I would say we had well, we had two locations. We had a driving shot. Yeah, and then if you had a driving shot, maybe that's a third location. Um, but we used this location we're sitting in now as two locations, right? Yeah. Um, we did. I have who crew? I'd say we had eight people. Right. So why don't you lay out for people? I think we who had those, what jobs those more eight than eight had. people. Well, I shot and directed. Right. And then we had a. Um, we had a sound recordist. We had uh, what I would say would be um, a grip gaffer general PA person. We didn't have a lot of gear, so we didn't really need a lot of support. The PA stands for? Production assistant. There you go. So the, the gift, the, the gaffer. The, the gaffer would be, a, a, a gaffer is someone in the electrical department, so they're dealing with lights, they're dealing with that kind of stuff, and a grip would be camera support. Okay. All right. Um, we had a principal, we had a few actors. We had a few actors, yeah. We had a principal and two other actors that were in other scenes. Um, but we never had a scene with more than two actors. Um, and the first half of the film is basically just one person. So it sounds like it should have cost a lot more than $500. I don't, I, I don't know. To me, it sounds like something that... Well, it did cost more. I mean, it, it, it did cost more than 500 Because all of, all of our but time, we Because deferred. everyone's time gets donated for the most part and um i own the camera and i have an edit suite so i'm not you know i've paid for that stuff but i'm not paying an hourly rate to edit something right um and i think that's maybe the most that's the biggest difference in the last 10 15 years is m most of the equipment associated with filmmaking at that level isn't prohibitively expensive so you can shoot a film on a DSLR like we did and you can shoot and you can edit on your laptop if you really want. Um, so, I mean, a, a film isn't at its most barest building block, most core building block is, is sound and picture and sequencing. So if you can edit and shoot and record audio, you're making a movie. You don't even need to have actors. I shot a whole film. We shot a short documentary last year that is all about native Manitoba plants. 75% of the film doesn't even have any people in it. It's just beautiful shots of plants growing and shifting doing, in and, the wind and shifting and growing in weird ways and that kind of thing. And there are people in it, but it's not, um, it sounds nice. It was, it was, the most, <laughs> it was, it was the best project I could have worked on at that point. It was very, very peaceful. <laughs> It's a jungle in here. Everyone who thinks about movies, whether they want to write them or whether they want to direct them or whether they just want to be the grip, they always think about some giant production, you know, like fifty, hundred million dollar production. That's the image you have because it's the image that's presented by Hollywood when they show yeah. a film in production. Yeah. yeah. But that is not, um, I think, typical. So how industry. does how does that journey? If if I'm a starting out, I'm starting out. I want to make films, and I get uh, like a. I, 
a decent uh, digital camera and I've got an editing suite on my, my Mac and I've got a couple of friends and we start making films. What's that ideal um, journey like from there to having a crew and doing something with a modest budget and getting in, like, you know, attracting the attention of bigger fish? Well, I can't really answer that. No. Because I've never, we haven't attracted the attention <laughs> of bigger fish. Well, that's not entirely true, though. Well, it is at the moment. In the moment that we sit right now. See, uh, Mike is, uh, <laughs> he has this weird superstition that we shouldn't talk about good things that could be about to happen because we'll Yeah, we're it. not going to talk about anything <laughs> that might be. I have a different this. superstition. Well, like, the reason I ask is because, like, how you and I have approached comics is. You know, DC and Marvel, it's hard to start with them. So we're going to make our own things and keep doing that and keep selling them and keep getting better until okay, we so attract their attention. I had someone ask me, I was doing, I was um, on a, I had a photo, I was doing a photo shoot maybe two, three weeks ago now. And um, one of the models who was there, she asked me, obviously she has a younger brother or a nephew or something that is interested in filmmaking. She asked me, what would you tell um, someone, uh, a, a young person who wanted to have a career in filmmaking, what they should do? And I said to her, uh, there is no, if you are, um, there is no career as a filmmaker. That's not a thing that you should pursue. <laughs> That if you want to make if you want to make films and you want to make movies. Excuse me, sir. Here's my fragile dream. Yeah. I'm holding it out to you in yeah. my hands. If your dream is to have a career as a filmmaker, you should reorient, because there's you should make films because you want to make films. You should make films because you have a desire to make to to tell stories in in that way. So hold on. So this is actually when you bullet down the same advice that we get and that we give when it comes to comics or books, right? Do you make them in your spare time? Do you spend all of your waking hours working on them? If so, you might be able to sell a few and make a living. Yeah. Same with films, right? Do yeah. you work on them all the time, eat, yeah. sleep, drink them? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, the, and, then the, and then the second thing I would say is that um, I would quote uh, Mick Garris, who's a filmmaker, um, who is a horror filmmaker and did the Masters of Horror f series, plus he's made a lot of great horror films. And he has a great podcast, and he, I was listening to it the other day, and he said this great thing. He said, you can tell the difference between a filmmaker that makes films uh, because they watch a lot of films and a filmmaker that makes films um, and, pay, and is, oh, what does he say? There's a difference, there's obviously a difference between a filmmaker that makes films having watched a lot of films and a filmmaker that makes films having watched a lot of life. Oh, mm. nice. And I'm paraphrasing, but because I'm sure I screwed that up, but that's the gist of it. There's a difference between um, imitating and transmuting, to take a word from Mr. Kamichik. So, okay, so... You just need to have a palette that you work from. So in, you need in to develop case, taste. It's technology. The most important thing is to develop a strong sense of taste. How do you do that? By um, engaging in film as a conversation and being an active audience member. So just to make an operational definition here, when you say taste, you mean um, that you clearly separate within a group of works which ones you like and dislike which Simple ones you that. like and dislike and not just which ones you like and dislike but on even a deeper level which ones speak to you how do they speak to you and why do they speak to you so emotional resonance emotional resonance it's a lot of self psychoanalysis to a large extent too why is that piece resonating with me um and I, I think yeah, then having, you know, you need to have discussions with other people about those differences and, and, and kind of put yourself up against some feedback and pushback and see where you and see where you stand. I think deep down when people watch horror movies, one of the best conversations afterwards is always in the dissonance between one person that said, oh, that part scared me. And one person that says, no, it didn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It didn't scare me at all. And then you have to ask yourself. I think that's that's the viewer, right? Yeah. Why did that scare me? Yeah. And the other viewer is like, well, why didn't it? Like, yeah. there's something in you. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. So that's the taste you're talking. Yeah, about. that's the taste, and and but not only that, just like 
you know, you have certain sensibilities and um, I think you said once style comes out of the mistakes that are that you make <laughs> that you over make and over and over again. Yeah, that's what, you know, that's, um, it's related to that. It's related to that. And I think that um, it's the mistake a lot of maybe young filmmakers might make is trying, is, is, thinking that a certain style or a certain way of doing things is the way to do things. Right. When in fact, the person or people that that piece came out of are only doing things the way they know how. Right. And right. so coming, you need to figure out how it is that you know how to make things. Okay, so, oh, you have a question there. No, I just, this is really making me think of... Um, I was recently at an anime convention, and a lot of anime artists draw like they were all trained at the exact same place when I know they weren't. They're all from different cities, and they come from different backgrounds, but they all draw in a similar style, and some of them are so close it's hard to tell, like it's hard to tell the difference at a glance. And it's just, it's kind of that same thing. I'm wondering like if... Um, they just kind of, you know, early on, they found a style they liked and they never veered away from that. They just kind of strive towards that. And so many of them are doing the same things that it almost... Because it's imitative rather than creative. Yeah. Is that your... Yeah. Interesting. Okay, just... so the interesting full disclosure to our dear listener. Um, how long ago would that have been? A couple of years back, um, on midnight of the 13th of every month, I would get a whole bunch of people yeah. together and a whole bunch, like two or three. Um, and we would, right before midnight, or right at midnight, no, right before midnight, we'd try to finish at midnight, so around 11 o'clock. I think we gave ourselves an hour. Yeah, and we yeah. would spend an hour, and we would try to come up with a complete film treatment in one hour, and we did it once a month. I did it for 13 months. Sometimes I did it by myself, sometimes I did it with other people, but yeah. I made 13 different treatments, one a month on the 13th before midnight every time. How Why? Because it sounded fun. How many of those became graphic novels? Well, uh, one of them became, one of the things I did on my own became a seed for Midnight City, for sure. Uh, one of them has become the seed for this uh, short film that we're going to shoot this weekend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Shooting it. This weekend. This weekend. Uh, oh, wow. This weekend. Friday, Saturday, and maybe Sunday. Yeah. It's part of the 48-hour film fest, uh, so we're going to attempt to do that again, but um, we'll see. What uh, weather? Is that going to affect well, you guys? Well, I'm hoping... Yes. Yeah, wow. Yes. <laughs> weather is... See, the, 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 uh, the, the challenge that Gregory and I have set is that um, the whole story basically takes place within, like, I would say... 20 minutes yeah half an hour at most like and it's so, a short film so it'll be maybe six or maybe 10 minutes on the outside maybe. but the events take place between the time basically someone calls 911 and people arrive as a result yeah a little bit before and a little bit after but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so we set up this notion that you know what it's like what everyone's angry at in a horror movie is that no one ever calls the police when they should <laughs> and no one ever does the like, my phone no one won't does work first i'm not getting any service yeah so we're just avoiding all of that the phones work there is service. They call the police. They call an ambulance. They do everything that they should. It doesn't matter. But to no avail, yeah. they're doomed. But to answer your question, Justin, uh, yes, the weather will affect us totally. But I'm hoping for overcast skies Friday, Saturday, and as Diffused far into lighting Sunday or just gloomy? to even the lighting out. So if the it's then it makes it easier for me to cheat certain parts of the day as other parts of the day mm. because there's not direct sunlight. So if we can do that, it oh, it frees us up to shoot and get more done in a over a, a day. Otherwise, we're only we really only have about two. If we don't get that 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 weather, we only really have two hours each evening in which we can shoot. Look, the sun and it is gone. They leave their coffins. We must go indoors. So for the benefit of our listener, let's. Um, if you don't mind. Some of these, obviously, I know the answer to. You know I know the answer to, so you'll look at me incredulously while you're asking this, but I think it's important. I think that's the general look on my face most times. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do we need to shoot? What are we organizing? Who are we bringing? What are the, you know, we've just put this list together of the stuff that we need. I think this is good okay. for people. Logistics? Think um, logistics we have a camera. Yeah. And we have. Can you tell us about that? Be specific. Oh well, I just got a Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pro, 
I've named her Isabella. <laughs> okay, so I just Isabella. named her yesterday. Um, and uh, it's a Super 35 mil um, size sensor. It's uh, an EF mount, so I can use Canon lenses on it for now. Uh, so it's pretty accessible. So physical film that goes with this? No, it's or just it's the digital. size of the sensor. Okay, gotcha. Um, it's uh, fairly, you know, um, it's a great little camera. How much we, does it weigh? Uh, all kitted up. It's somewhere. I haven't weighed it yet. Uh, it's somewhere between six and eight pounds, I think, with everything on it. So it's a little run and gunner. Yeah. A lot of right. people would complain that it's too heavy. Right. And I think that's hilarious. Yeah. So, you know, we're so spoiled now. You have these tiny little, like the Sony A7 and this Canon 5D, which I've shot a lot on. And they're just these tiny little cameras, relatively speaking. And then everyone complains when something weighs five, six pounds. And when what they're not thinking about is that it's that weight that, like that weight translates into the image. The, he right. the heavier camera is easier to hold steady. Right. 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 A lighter camera absorbs every. You can like, feel your heartbeat, didn't it? It doesn't absorb any bounce. Everything shakes constantly. Right. Right. Yeah, you feel your heartbeat in it. Everything just translates. So, right the camera. for some cameras, do you intentionally weigh them? Like weigh I them? I do. Yeah. Yeah. The when I shoot on my 5D, I usually put a cage around it and um, weigh it. Put as much on the camera as I can to just give it a bit more weight because I find it's easier to hand operate that way if it's got a little bit of weight in it. Um, cool. So I'll translate it into not only gear but a skilled camera operator. You need We're a skilled have. camera operator um, or you have to be okay with... Um, the results you get. The results you get. You just got to be at peace with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll have, a, uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a decent mic. We'll have... Um, it's like an on-set mic? Yeah, we're going to use a 416, a Sennheiser 416, which is a pretty common uh, condenser microphone. Um, so is that one of the, like, on a pole sticking, it'll be on like, a over pole. the actors? Yeah we'll, have a, yeah. yeah, we'll have it on a boom. We won't necessarily have to hang it out over the actors most of the time, but it, we, we could if we needed to, yeah. Uh, it's got a dead cat on it. It's what I like to call the fuzzy <laughs> thing that hangs <laughs> us on the mic that cuts the wind noise down. <laughs> and it'll be in a cage, so the cage helps cut... Um, uh, some of the wind noise and uh, gotcha. usually the low end a little bit too. How often in editing does that sneak into shots when it's above the actors? Um, Not like the number one spoof everybody always finds yeah. in films. It's like, oh, you can see the boom in this. Like yeah. the I was at a university uh, film rough cut, like it was an advanced screening of, um, oh, what was the Tarantino? Dust Till Dawn. Oh, yeah. And all the edits still had the boom mics. Like you could see... The boom mites drooping in constantly. It, wasn't in cropped, the it hadn't been cropped. It was like a really rough cut that they took to universities. And oh, really? part of the, I think the, like the kind of the joy of it was you saw this only partially assembled film, and they would get people's feedback oh. that way. Yeah, it was pretty it's cool. Well, film. Tarantino is famous for, um, I wouldn't say famous. <laughs> He's never. He claims to have never done any dialogue replacement on any film. And so no he, ADR, no ADR. So he prioritizes setups. He allows the sound guy to have as much priority as he can possibly allow, so that he gets good sound recording on on set. That must make it just easier to edit, though. Then because um, you have everything. I don't know that it necessarily. It's not about making it easier. Every decision you make in production on film, in my the, the way I look at it, is the decisions are based on a desire for consistency. Okay. So. I would want to have all my sound recorded on set because it would sound consistent. Right. I, if you're shooting an indie film, you should try to be getting as much, like, all of your sound on set because you can't afford good ADR. Right. And so when you get to the point where you're going to have to replace that line of dialogue in post, yeah, ADR is a thing, and it's a technique used in film. You have to bring the actors back to then you've got to bring the actors back. The booth you've got to put them in. Yeah. In an ideal world, you're working with a professional sound engineer who has a variety of microphones that they can place in front of your actor to match as close as possible the sound that the, you got on set. Not only the sound of the microphone, the sound of the room. And... So I, really, and, if you're an indie filmmaker, you don't have access to the stuff. You don't stuff, have so access get to as that. Much as you you're going to fall short on on so many aspects of that process that when you put that line of dialogue in your film after, it is going to very obviously 
stand out. If the goal is for that line of dialogue or to blend in with the other lines of dialogue in the scene, you can hear ADR in a $100 million Hollywood film. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, it's a, that's a bit of a holdover from back in the day when uh, film cameras were exceptionally loud and sets were exceptionally loud and it just wasn't feasible to get usable sound on a set. So back in the day, they would film the entire movie and yeah. then record... And all the sound would be put in after, for wow. the most part, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even the sound effects, all the foley. Oh, sure, all the foley. Yeah. All, and that's still how it's done. You still, yeah. be, you still build up the soundtrack, right? Yeah. Okay, so we've got a camera. We've got a camera operator. We have a we've camera. Got a sound we have person. a camera operator. We have a sound person. We also are going to have an assistant director yeah. whose job will be to uh, be the keeper of the clock. Dun, dun, dun. So she will keep me... Um, in the know of how much time we're burning and how much time we have left and what we estimated this sequence of shots was going to take and, and and how close we are to blowing through mm-hmm. that or coming in sh- or coming in under. No, I worked with uh, Mel before on Don't Waste a Precious Minute. Yes. And that was like apocryphal Do you because remember her the- job and her, the film title and her job were very... Yes. You're right, close. Don't and waste a precious minute. Yes. <laughs> and do you remember what our first day was like? Um... Mostly I remember her yelling at me a lot. Yeah, so I think our first day... <laughs> but like in a good way, like... The first sorry. half of our first day, we were probably two hours behind mm-hmm. by the end of our second hour. And we knew like, it. And we knew it. Mel was letting it work. Guys, we are like two hours behind. I'm like, Mel, it's okay. It's okay. We're just finding our groove. We're finding the groove. We're finding the groove. And then we found the groove, and then we finished on time. Yeah. So somewhere in the remainder of that day, we made up two hours. And even on this one. But I know where we made up two hours. We made up two hours because every time you would say, um, okay, I think we got it, Mel would look at the sheet. She would look at the clock and say, actually, we have six minutes here if you want to try it again. Yeah. Right. And then we were making informed decisions on whether or not we should. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's where, you know, it was yeah. one thing to find the groove, but I think we made up all the time because she reminded us where those increments were all the way along. So and a good assistant director you need. Yeah. You need a good assistant director. Okay. Um, now what else are we going to have? Well, we would, I would appreciate having a good camera assistant, but I'm not sure that we're going to have that luxury right. on this film. Um, just simply because of the location we're shooting and the budget we're working within, it's hard to add another person. And I can basically manage the rig. Um, but uh, someone that may, someone may have to be there just to make sure lenses are available to me and that kind of thing. Um, that's going to be a bit of a challenge. Quick project like this, um, music and soundtrack kind of stuff. What do you guys do for that typically? Well, you can answer. Uh, well, what, um, for this project, we're going to hire a young guy to do some sound design okay. and compose for nice. us. Nice. Um, keynote, dear listeners, the same fellow who made our wonderful intro, Jesse Hamill. Yeah. Gonna be doing yeah, so Jesse's going to work film. on this. Um, awesome. Yeah. That's what we do. And I, he's going to be in BC. He, he's going to be in BC. So he's all... he's. He has a he. I've given him some direction as to how I think some of the sounds should sound, and um, I spent all day crawling out of a grave. The director said I was incapable of reaching the emotional core of the character. By through some miracle, are able to actually deliver on the Sunday. Um, that won't be the end of this film. We will go back and probably re-edit and redo sound and redo music and do a proper yeah, grade. You guys have been talking about that with the, the one from well, we last year as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we submitted to the 48, but then we're also building it up yeah. as a concept piece, like as a, yeah. as a way to show other people when they say, what is the concept behind this pitch? We can say, well, here's one way you could take yeah. it and show them a short film. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. And then we have makeup. Uh, we have a makeup artist. That's pretty essential. Um, I'd like to have a wardrobe person, but I don't think we're going to be able to swing that. But the requirements are so 
uh, you know, it's nothing that complicated. It's makeup, two folks like at the lake. Monster so. stuff or just making no. you camera ready? Camera no, ready. Uh, camera, camera ready, ready for the actors. Yeah. Um, but also there is a monster creature sort in of. our short yeah, there film, is. sort of. And, and Kitty Burns sh- made a great wig for us, too. Yeah, Kitty Burns made a great wig. If it, and, uh, if it can slime properly, yes. it'll <laughs> you will be able to use it. Yeah, and... Um, so there will be some makeup on our creature, quote unquote. There will be a bit of makeup on uh, on that individual, um, and there's a little bit of special effects stuff. There's going to be some blood, some and like some slime, weird jellyfish gelatin, some jellyfish with fish gelatin. Scales. Yeah. Um, what else? I think as far as effects go, that's it. Okay, so yeah. okay, so crew wise, yeah. AD, um, and then location. We have a location. Well, and we'll have a PA. Like, you'll be a second set of eyes for me as an art director plus uh, a general PA yeah. and may have to fill in here and there in, in a, a, a few other roles. Well, and that's um, the have thing. Have you scouted sh- locations already? You know exactly. Yeah, we went. Yeah. We scouted locations. We're going out to, uh, to a remote beach to shoot part of it and then to a yeah. cabin as well. Yeah. We figured all that stuff out. And uh, what I was going to say, though, is that everybody will be doing – Everyone's doing Five multiple jobs, jobs yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an ideal way to work. When you do a short film, when you work indie, you know, uh, it's the joke that you make that you're your own intern, right? Everyone, you know, you take out the trash, you make the food, and you shoot the film. Yeah, you know, yeah, everyone yeah. does the same job. Um, there is a, we'll, for another podcast, because you're superstitious, we'll tell you about another film project that we have uh, in the pipeline. In It's not even in the bloody it's pipeline. Brewing. It's brewing. <laughs> Brewing. What would you say? How would you like to categorize it in your timid It's not way? a film. It's not it's a film Words yet? on a page right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's not Cat even. Is not dead or it's alive It's not even core. It's, it's just in your early, script. It's just in the early stages of, 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 of courting. So is it a, uh, is it a uh, face hugger or is it still in the egg? It's, just it's still in the egg on a planet. We haven't reached yet. We are aware that it's there, and we're on our way to find it. But, uh, yeah. I love that. Okay. It, it's, um, right now, it's an SOS signal. It's an SOS signal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. One nice. Okay. Um, we have to get the other dropship from the Sulaco. <laughs> um, okay, so. And then we have food. And so we have food. It's, And that's very important. And I think, very honestly, important. the most important. Yeah. Yeah, without you know, hyperbole. Sure, I spent an hour on the phone last night with Jacqueline. Yeah, uh, figuring out. She kept telling me that the budget was too low. <laughs> you've got you've got twenty people. You can't. What are you going to live on bread all weekend? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk budget. Can we talk numbers with you a little bit? Um, sure. Yeah, and we we'll be a little transparent a little for uh, the dear listener that they're. Um, the full disclosure here is that because Mike has access to camera rigs and uh, editing suites. Yeah, but that's not diff- Most people have access to those things. To those things? Yeah, I would say that um, you don't so need to So all the gear that you a- have, everybody has? No, that's not true. but everyone based... I mean, you can get a... You can get a I don't know what a 60D costs. But you can get a you can get a decent Canon for under a thousand bucks or around a thousand dollars. You can get a camera that can shoot video. Most people if, seem to have one these days. Yeah, and yeah. if and for I mean, you can shoot a short film on your phone. Right. There's Should nothing, you? There's nothing. There's no reason why you shouldn't. Is there some kind of uh, like commonly used? Like taking an iPhone and there's a lens like adapter a to make it. Oh a little, yeah. yeah. I when we shot that uh, flower documentary. Um, I was, I was uh, up until about two weeks before we started shooting, I was looking at shooting it on my phone (laughs) and I was, I had priced out the cost of a iPhone i7 S or whatever the dual pixel Whatever the dual pixel Mo Eight or whatever that was, oh, and it fits into that stabilizer rig. And right? I was I priced out a stabilizer rig. I priced out anamorphic lenses that you can put on it. I priced out um, close up and macro adapters. I priced out all sorts of stuff because I wanted to shoot. I thought if I could do that, I would shoot it handheld. A lot of the flower stuff I'd shoot at 120 frames a second, handheld, do macro stuff and that kind of thing. Um, and then ended up going with, uh, uh, I just, we shot it on a Canon 5D, but I shot on a, um, we shot on a, uh, what's it called? A, uh, 
stabilizer rig. Can I ask you a, how the sausage is made question? Sure. So you said 120 frames per second. Yeah. For the lay person who doesn't know anything about that, can you lay out what the heck the difference of frame rate in camera? Well, normally you'd shoot at 24 frames a second. Right. So this would be uh, five times that speed. Okay, so why would you do that? Um, why would you do that? Because my thinking was um, I didn't want, um, I wanted to try to add some motion into some of the macro photography, which is a very, very difficult thing to do because you're very, very close. You have a very, very shallow depth of field, which means that maybe only a centimeter or less of that flower may be in focus. Hmm. And so uh, what I figured is that uh, because of the lenses on your phone, um, you know, regardless of what the marketing tells you, uh, there is a huge difference between your phone and a real camera. Right. And that difference is the lens. So the lens on your phone is a wide angle lens with a very, um, uh, where the aperture basically means that for the most part, you're looking at an image that is, has deep focus. It has an infinity focus. So everything's in focus from the front to the back. And then they've started introducing these dual lens, dual lens phones that have, uh, give you the, create the look of a shallow depth of field. So the subject is in focus and the background is out of focus. Uh, so why do you shoot 120 frames? Because it's slow motion. Um, it looks cool. And it means that um, any camera shake or whatnot gets sort of disguised because we're moving slower through the, oh. through the space. Um, but in the that end... aforementioned heartbeat problem. Yeah, so it was a bit more hopeful. It was the hopeful cinematographer in me thinking that that would work for me. Right. Um, and then the more I just started looking at it, I was like, you know, it's, it was actually the gear that I was going to have to get to outfit my 5D to do the film... And the gear I was going to have to, the amount I was going to have to spend on the phone rig were so close that Better it didn't make sense. the devil you knew than the devil yeah, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, we didn't do, we did some slow motion stuff, but we didn't do that much of it. I don't even think I did any, to be honest, now that I think about it. I'm not, uh, you know, at the time that we shot that, everything I saw being shot, you know, there's this real dearth of overcranked you know, slow motion stuff in commercials and in a lot of like indie, you know, as soon as everyone can shoot 60 frames a second and 120 frames a second, everybody shoots 60 frames a second and 120 frames a second because right. it's a shortcut to getting a really cool look. Oh, that looks so cool. Right. Oh, look how cool that looks. How cool that feels. And it's, you know. You don't want to look cool? I don't, I do. I just think that <laughs> I'm do. also a bit of a, as I'm also a bit of a contrarian. So as, no, soon as, you I don't see, say. as soon as I see everybody doing it that way, I'm like, ah, okay, we're going to shoot this entire thing and we're not going to shoot a single frame of it in slow motion. And uh, so we where can is still that? Make it where does that good. come from in you? Why do you want to? Well, Greg, why aren't you printing on metal right now? Why don't you have holographic prints? I know lots of people do do that. Um, maybe I will. Maybe I will. Justin. Where does that come from? Yeah. Well, I'm a ginger. Right. <laughs> So Enough said. Okay, enough moving said. on. <laughs> We're just going to chalk it up to your genetic Yeah, and other gingers listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Gingers are beautiful. We are kissed by fire. We have the crew. We've got some actors. How did we get these actors? Enough food. We've got food. enough food and enough other general people around to help support. We, to be perfectly honest, for the type of film we are attempting to do on the weekend, we're probably three people short on the main crew. Okay. Um, it would be nice to have a camera assistant. It would be nice to have a someone on hair and wardrobe. Um, so that's another three people maybe. And then it would be nice to have, um, yeah. So I think, I feel like we're about three people short, four people short maybe. But we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen anyway. Now, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. The no. weather is questionable. The crew questionable. is questionable. The crew's not questionable. No? no. We're good. The crew we have is rock solid. I'm not worried about the crew. But we had a recent, uh, you know, we got notified that one of the people on the crew had a death in the family. So yes. we have to be flexible for that. Yes. We have to be flexible for when the actors are available. Yes. And so a bunch of the stuff that we're trying to, that we're trying to accomplish, we don't. 100% no, we can accomplish. Should we just cancel? Should we just quit? Should we I stop? thought about it yesterday, <laughs> right? But I, why aren't we? I gave it considerable thought to just maybe we just pull the plug. Um, but why aren't we Because maybe we actually can't do it. Yeah. 
Why are we not? Yeah, why are we going to do it anyway? Because I'm a contrarian. So as soon as I had that thought, the other half of my brain went, hold on a second. <laughs> we'll do it anyway. But do you have to know what it's going to be before you start? No, you don't. You I just absolutely have to start. Not. If you knew what it was going to be before you started, what would be the fun of doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. But I thought well, you need a plan. I, so I texted you. Well, you need a plan. Okay, so it's like you have to have an idea in your head. But you have to hold that idea in your head like a dream. So it's fluid. So even as you're having the dream, it's hard to hold on to. And when you wake up, it will still change. Yeah. That's how you have to hold the idea of whatever it is you're doing in your head. Because it has to be flexible enough that when you get there and you start doing it and something happens that you couldn't that, that you didn't plan for or something happens that changes the context of what you're doing you have to be flexible enough to absorb that change if you're too rigid in your thinking it breaks you you have yep. to be a skyscraper in the wind whoa your not too rigid or it falls not over too rigid or it just falls over flexible yeah. enough that it can that right. it can that it can sway a little bit yeah huh. your books didn't show up before the Comic-Con. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. You just had to be... Yeah, we went to... We traveled all the way to a foreign country, to a city we didn't know, or I didn't know very well, and Half all the, stock all the stuff up. that I needed didn't show up. <laughs> and so you can either freak out and be like, oh, my God, I should just stay in my hotel room, or say, what can you make from what is present yeah. and what opportunities are available as a result? Yeah, and you... I think the one... The, the overriding thing that I've learned in just especially in making shorts well in, in doing in the docs and, and and anything is that there will always be stuff that you find in the edit that you never even realized you shot mm -hmm. oh, cool and that stuff when you're in there oh, man, and you're, and you're a, seeing okay, shots besides, like don't waste a precious I was minute just gonna bring up that is shot. a perfect example yeah because it is basically takes place over there's Okay, I'll give the dear There's listeners some context. Sequences. So yeah. we, it's a film about two people who wake up. Well, they don't wake up. They've been there a long time. But we arrive on them as they're being fed. They're kept in a container of some sort. A sea can. A sea can. Um, they have been there for a long time. They have clearly been mistreated. They, it's a moment that they can escape, arrives, and they make a break for it. And they find out that they have been placed in a remote location so that people can hunt them basically and they've been let out yes and, so, and then they get let out yeah and so you have in the script the real feel-good family film yeah what you have in the script what was written as basically four sequences yeah. so the first three sequences taking place in the container being different days in which they wake and then and then so the door opens they're fed something comes in and feeds them the door closes that happened three times in the script and then on the fourth time or on the third time the door gets left open, and then they realize the cage has been left open, and one of them leaves. Yeah, only for and one from of them. that point forward, the film basically happens in real time. When we got into the edit, it was apparent that we needed some connective tissue between the door opening, door closing, and the next time that the door opened. It, was, it felt, it just didn't feel right to go day to day to day. And so it felt like it, it was happening, like it was three days in a row. And we felt we needed some sort of sequence in between those that um, added to the atmosphere of the film, sort of started to illuminate the psychology of the characters. Um, the and key thing here though is that we didn't have any, of that. we didn't we plan any of those shots. We didn't plan any of that stuff. Yeah. And what ended up happening is we started cutting dream sequences that you're not sure what character it's, is actually having the dream. Uh, if you pay attention, you can figure out who it is. Um, and those dream sequences were cut from shots that we had, that we had shot either, we had shot and they were um, from bits of takes that we didn't use. Like or my favorite one that we used, I think, is you, the actress was between takes and the camera was just rolling yeah. and she had turned her face up 
towards the sun and was just like smiling and just feeling that sunbeam and you know she's all covered in grime yeah. and grit and her yeah. costume and you know it's a horrible scene that we're shooting but in the middle of it between takes she's just like ah oh, look the sun is yeah, shining and my day is great i was just rolling on it yeah, yeah. and we ended up editing that yeah that went in film. as a as a as a shot there, there was a lot of little pieces like that that we reused and refashioned and did a little few editing tricks to to um remove it from the immediate context of what how it was shot and that and that that made that film then the other one that was a there's a chase scene in the end where she's running through the woods and she's chasing after someone and i hate shooting chase stuff it's it's the hardest thing to shoot to get continuity of camera geography and like, yeah. did she come in? Did she come in the right side and next to the left? What did we do on that last shot? Oh, I thought you meant practically because you were running backwards and I was spotting you. I don't mind that part, but it's the it's the figuring it out in your brain how to how to make it how to keep the continuity going. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a fun challenge, but it, it's I find it I find it the most difficult part. Um, and so we needed a shot like it wasn't cutting together and mark and i who mark green who directed it and wrote it um we were sitting in the edit suite and um we were just going through footage and then suddenly here was this medium head and shoulder shot of her walking that i had no memory of shooting, which is odd because I basically remember every frame of every shot as it goes down to camera. And I didn't even remember we shot Here, it. Here, though, is evidence to the contrary. Well, I don't know. I believe the film made that. Like, I think that that, that, that <laughs> shot got gen like the generated by the generated mind of the film itself. In the, the, yeah, the film knew it needed it. So it, it created it out of the remnants of other things <laughs> because it was the exact shot we needed. And, it, and we were just laughing because neither of us remembered ever shooting it. And to this, I don't think it was actually a shot we... I you think, think it was another, I shot just the it, camera was rolling. No, I think I shot it as a test. I think like I was just test? shooting it as a as a light test and shooting it as a can I get this shot here walking backwards test, and we did that one shot. And it's like it's just within frames of being just enough that it that we could use it. Um, and then we probably got into a discussion of how to stage and block when she arrived and completely forgot, we were in such a rush, completely forgot that we were gonna, that we needed to do that shot and just moved on and never actually did multiple takes of that shot. Okay, you people sit tight, hold the fort and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. So you've been on set a lot for a lot of different things and a lot of different roles. I'm gonna ask you a question that I think everyone should contemplate the answer to you don't have to have the best answer ever but it's definitely a question people should think about um who's in charge on set and how do you keep morale together around that person hmm because i've been with you in a number of scenarios where it's gone different ways yeah <laughs> yeah, and we won't talk about those particular instances. Yeah, uh, but we know that it can go the wrong way. So how do yeah. you? Well, I think the first thing to acknowledge and to I think that you just have to accept is that um, a set is not a democracy. Um, in its best form, a set is a benevolent dictatorship. And that is a function of just the complexity of what the the task is there's only one tip to the spear um and so you need to you know in a worst case scenario it's a totalitarian state uh with a tyrant at the helm and it's worse <laughs> and i'm and like dead serious yeah That's and little, it's bad it's bad yeah and morale is through the floor and no one really wants to be there but you're there anyways and you maybe don't know why water world yeah <laughs> Yeah. Neither of us worked on Waterworld. No, no one here worked on Waterworld. <laughs> a film that I enjoy. I like that movie. I yeah. like that yeah. movie. Um, yeah. I like anything with Dennis If that Hopper was made today, it. they would already have announced two sequels. Dear listener, if you haven't, look into the backstory of the filming of Waterworld. It's yeah. a very interesting read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so who's in charge? Who's in charge? Uh, I think there's two answers to that. 
give them to us both. I think one is that the film is in charge. And that um, the representative for the film, because the film can't actually communicate using words and language to those that have to, are in charge of bringing it into reality, that the director is... Um, is the representative is of the, the representative film, of the charge. film or of the story? But the story is in charge. You're like the clergy. The film is in charge. And you and have yeah, the words yeah, of the film. Absolutely. Yeah. You're the. You're the. You're the direct path. Are the, is yeah. the, you're the the writer of the story? As the I writer of the script, say. the writer of the original story, often. No. Not no. On location. On it depends. If they were, do you think it'd be? So usually, so now this is this is anecdotal. This is not from my experience, but this is anecdotally my answer. So you can correct it. That usually when a writer is invited to set and like expected to be present, it's usually in dramas or dialogue-heavy scenes where they have some a moving target for what the end of the film will be, mm-hmm. and so they need to apparently. Uh, there's some stuff about the Nolan Batmans where there was rewrites sort of within a half hour, everyone would call and they'd rewrite some scenes and they'd do it yeah. because they were figuring out in the edit what might be useful for someone to have said. So you bring the writer in for that. But generally speaking, once the writer has given the story, they've done their job. Film is not a written medium. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at. It's like the writer, the vision in their head is very, very different than what's going to be actually filmed. And how often does that make waves? Oh, I'm sure it makes waves all the time. Yeah, Yeah. which is why you have to sign an agreement and you you hand in the script. Or which is why you see a lot of writer-directors. Yeah. Or even to a certain degree, why larger studio projects go through teams of writers to strip out the individual voice. <laughs> Makes it easier, right? Yeah. Yeah, right? Does it make it better? Um, I think in some cases it, some does. Cases it does. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything in filmmaking that is a hard and fast yes or no. Yeah, there's no yes. one way to there's do no it because it's a creative it. endeavor yeah. that involves sometimes dozens, sometimes hundreds of people. So yeah. to suggest that you have the perfect way to do it, if you could have a perfect way to orchestrate dozens or hundreds of people, then we wouldn't have sporting events. Well, right? Because you'd right. have a way to organize it to always win. But there isn't. There's always that element of chance. Yes, there's right? always that element of chance and there's and it's a it's a fluid, um, evolving, living process. So it's changing every it's changing frame to frame, it's changing take to take, it's changing day to day. And then even when it gets into the edit, it's not it's it, it's different. It's always changing. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. We are going to um, keep you apprised of our short film project. Um, do you want to tell them what it's called? Love Song. Love Song. Um, tune in soon for more information. Um, thank you, Justin, for being a long-suffering co-host. Have fun in Paris next week. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, thank you for coming, baby. Mike. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. Join the fight and make comics.